So the Talking Health Tech podcast that you're listening to now, I started it back at end of 2018. And since then, we've done over 300 episodes. It's gone from this little side thing for me to being my full-time thing. And a lot of people know of the podcast when they think of Talking Health Tech. However, within Talking Health Tech, there's another thing that we do that kind of becomes the highlight of every quarter on the calendar. And it's the Talking Health Tech virtual summits that we run. And so each season, we host a summit And they're a full day virtual event, all virtual. So everyone is on the same page. We can get busy clinicians between patients, those with accessibility challenges who might not otherwise be able to attend a full day in-person event. And we run 12 panel sessions, usually 30 minutes long, and they're short and sharp and to the point. And we do what we talk about on this podcast all the time. We incite collaboration, bring different perspectives together, clinicians, vendors, policymakers, patients. And so... Since we've been doing the summits, there'd be over a hundred sessions that we've run now. And the last summit that we held was the winter summit this year. And you're about to hear a session from that summit right now on the podcast. What's cool about summit sessions is that, I mean, when you watch them live or you watch the video, you can see people on screen and we do pride ourselves in making them engaging in that way. Lots of graphics flying around and videos and things, but they also repurpose really nicely into podcast episodes. So you can do what you do while you listen to podcasts and Check out this session from the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit. Now, if you're loving the summit vibes here, our last summit for the year, the spring summit's happening on the 24th of November. And to attend that event live, you can either purchase a ticket from our website. They're just $250 plus GST. You get full access to the event and to the recordings for 30 days after. Or for the best value, you can join THT Plus, which is our membership community for individuals and companies looking to take their health tech to the next level. And so our THT Plus members get full access to all of our summits. They can attend all of them live and you can go back and watch all of the recordings from our previous summit sessions that we've done as well. And so to become a solo member of THT Plus, for example, it's just $39 a month. Plus, it's not just the summits that are in there as well with the membership. You get access to our community forum. We've started doing these monthly matchups, which is a cool way to connect with other people within the ecosystem. You get access to other exclusive content and events. And it's a great way to support this show as well if you've had some value. So check out talkinghealthtech.com slash THT plus to see if it's a fit for you. But right now, this is session eight from the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit that we held this year. There'll be a full introduction after the music. Hope you enjoy. Collaboration starts with the conversation team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Digital health can be the great enabler for improving health outcomes and clinician intervention. This discussion explores the extent of this, in addition to the difference between connecting and integrating, and the lessons learned from implementing sustainable and successful interoperable digital health solutions. This is session eight of the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit titled Improving Health Outcomes and Clinician Intervention Through Interoperable Interoperable Solutions. Solutions. I'll be moderating this panel, which is featuring Kathy Rivery, Mackay Hospital and Health Service Manager for Virtual Health. Dr. Monica Trujillo, Chief Health Officer at Telstra Health. Monica's advancing patient-centered care and safety and improving quality outcomes through the adoption of digital technologies, clinician leadership, and active community collaboration. 
Dr. Vlad Matic, Executive Clinical Services at Gundir Health Services, where he's responsible for the clinical governance and all services at Gundir Health Services at the Dalby, Oakley and St. George and Mobile Medical Clinics. William Grant, Virtual Care Business Lead at Telstra Health, where he's responsible for product, vision and strategy, a number of products in the Telstra Health Virtual Care Portfolio. Before this session, we ran a poll and we asked, what's the biggest payoff of having more interoperable healthcare systems? 55% of respondents said better health outcomes. 30% said improved patient experience. 9% said less pressure on clinicians. And only 6% said reduced costs on the system. Let's go to the panel and see what they have to say. moderating this panel. I, I'm not throwing to anyone, so I need to make sure I pay attention to that one. No, I'm, I've been looking forward to this one, so I shouldn't kick myself off. I'm going to bring everyone on to the, the middle there. Yeah, look, uh, interesting results from the, the, the poll as well. No surprises, I guess, in terms of health outcomes. Interesting from those that responded, didn't place a great the, you know, the immediate priority on the cost side. But let's, let's dive into it a little bit more. We've got 40 minutes now to unpack this one a bit. I want to go around to the panel firstly. I might start with Vlad. Introduce yourself, how you're connected to this concept of the delivery of virtual care, and then we can unpack it a little bit more. But we'll give Vlad the uh, the mic first. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. And yeah, thanks for joining. My name is Vlad Matic. I'm a GP and I'm the executive of clinical services at Gundia Health Service, an Aboriginal medical service centrally located in Dolby, but with clinics at Chinchilla and Oakey and St George and also a mobile medical clinic that runs around a very large footprint of semi-remote Australia. So yeah, the, the topic of virtual care is probably very near and dear to us at Gundia and to me as a clinician. And I must say, I was surprised by that poll because I would have said efficiencies and reduced costs would have been up there with um, patient health outcomes. Very much so. I mean, if we really reflect on it, we, we don't have a shortage of clinicians. We have a shortage of clinical output from the clinicians we have because we take a whole bunch of really intelligent people, send them to university and then ask them to spend the rest of their working lives filling out bits of paper. Yeah. <laughs> when machines can do it all for us. So that's why interoperability and virtual care and indeed the, the computerization of healthcare is, I think, probably the main game. Yeah, I can't wait to hear a bit more about how that's applicable to you on a day-to-day, Vlad. But we'll go to Kathy as well. Kathy, give some perspectives, fill some colour about you and virtual care. Yeah, so I'm the manager of virtual health for the Mackay Hospital and Health Service. I've been in this role for about nine years and we've built a small team now that I lead to deliver the virtual services in Mackay. Yeah, I'm a bit like Vlad. I thought that the cost was pretty important too because things like that really do matter in terms of being able to scale up services and deliver more services to more people. So anyway, yeah, but just a bit about Mackay. So Mackay is a health service located about halfway up the Queensland coast. We cover an area of about 90,000 square kilometres, about the size of Hungary, actually. And we have eight communities that we serve. The Mackay-based hospital is our regional hub centre, hospital, with most of our specialist services running out of there. And the other seven communities um, range from coastal communities like Proserpine and Bowen and the Whitsundays, right through to really small little mining communities out in the middle of the outback. So we 
service a very vast, diverse population with many needs. And it's been really important for us to harness the technology of virtual care and models of virtual care for us to be able to ensure that we can have a good reach across all of that big area and, and accommodate the needs of that population really well. So we're really well placed as a sort of medium-sized health service to be able to trial things and do things quite reasonably easily, not easily, but reasonably easily compared to, you know, huge populations. So, yeah, it's been a great learning experience and we, we've done it quite well, I think, quite successfully. Yeah, I'm keen to learn a bit more about how you tie some of those systems together to, to this point around interoperability to deliver those outcomes, reduce the costs and everything. But Monica, tell us a bit more about you and, and what you do. Pete, I made it to Talking Health Tech. <laughs> That's all that matters. You can write it. These days you can put it on your LinkedIn profile, I hear. So uh, <laughs> like a little bag. Oh, uh, no, it's, uh, it's super exciting. Long overdue, long overdue. <laughs> long overdue. It's super exciting to be here on behalf of Telstra Health, as everyone saw in the video. It's a really exciting time to be in Telstra Health. We cover a large amount of the healthcare system and our aim really is to get it all connected to each other, to talk to each other, to make it all work together. I find interesting the results of the survey as well. For me, priority is the patient experience improved with good health outcomes. Of course, we'll have better costs and better outcomes, which is all about value-based care. So I think it was because they only could pick one and perhaps they went for that one and they couldn't rank. Look, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't base a PhD or a research study <laughs> on, on that particular uh, survey on the sample size that, that existed, but good conversation started nonetheless. But it's really interesting because the previous panel was talking, can Australia lead? Australia can most definitely lead. We have some great big challenges on the remoteness, the rural, but then the size we're able to do it. I mean, we're Australia is the size of Texas in terms of population, isn't it? But so broad and some of the harsh conditions of climate, the distance. Um, Kathy said she's halfway in, you know, in Queensland. But if you think about hours, that's like how many hours do I have to drive to get there? At least 10, 11. So it's an interesting time to be part of it. We're Australia's largest digital tech provider and, and it's super exciting to be here because we have real outcomes of Australian examples. Yeah. No, great, great. Keen to learn a bit more about those. Will, over to you. Yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Will, Will Grant. I, I lead the virtual care side of the business within, within Telstra Health. So Monica's given a good, good overview of what, what we do. When I was reflecting on my time in virtual care, it's been, I think, close to 17 years, which sounds like I'm, I'm getting old now. So 17 years ago, I think uh, we came across a device. It was actually in the UK at the time where had this device that could measure you know patient obs and and go send it to a clinician and that was super exciting everyone's going to say this is going to change how we're going to deliver healthcare and then that probably started the next 15 years of pilots and projects and what's the saying there's more pilots in in healthcare than there is in Qantas so over the last you know 15 years or so we've seen some really good you know projects and, and programs occur within virtual care and what's actually had to happen is a pandemic has come along uh, and enabled healthcare organisations to go, is there a better way of doing things? Is there a way that can improve their patient experience? Is there a way to improve efficiencies, reduce potential costs, and also increase capacity, as well as keeping our pa patients and also clinicians safe during the pandemic? Um, but then how do we take this forward? And that's probably the more exciting place we're at now in, with virtual care as a whole across the country and even globally, 
is where does it now go? And there's, there isn't a, a question now on, oh, is this feasible? Does the technology work? Or, or what's the service model look like? It's more a case of how do we actually pilot it for our organization and how do we scale it? Because we know if there's a benefit. We know the, the patient ex, uh, expectations and our clinician uh, expectations have all changed. And, and they're all demanding you know, a new way of delivering. So really exciting time to um, be involved in, in this whole space of virtual care. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members, it's literally the heart of everything we do, so consider joining as a THT Plus member, you can join anytime online, just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT plus. Absolutely. And let's unpack it a little bit more with Vlad, who's seeing this on a day to day, delivering care in a virtual means, walking the talk. Talk to me about what it actually looks like, systems connecting to each other and, and some of those outcomes and yeah. Sure. Specifically, our experience has been with a, a virtual care setup. So it, it's basically a tablet that's Bluetooth to some measuring devices, and it resides in people's homes. Uh, people are trained. They take their own readings. They'll take their own blood pressure. They'll take their own blood sugar patients, and all of that is then fed back. And in currently working on fully integrated with our patient information software back at, at our clinics. So that's the holy grail of healthcare, a single source of truth. And I'm talking about eliminating the human processing time. So if somebody sends me a PDF of a person's results, I then have to use human time and human effort to transpose that and type that into the requisite fields in my patient information system for that to be able to be visualised graphically or to see trends over time to be able to be extracted for the purposes of data collection for report purposes and so forth. So the elimination of that human processing effort to me is, is the ultimate goal. Now, I'm sure that no Nobody enjoys going to funerals, but I have bought the number one ticket for the funeral of the fax machine, and I'd like to have everybody come with me because I think health is probably the last industry that still uses them, and it's basically flat data that has to be reinterpreted, handled multiple times. It just seems like a complete waste. And if I may, what I'd like to say is in the in the previous session, we were talking about patients and their data and so forth. So uh, having been a clinician for, what, three decades I think it's fair to say that three decades ago was health was something we did to people. I think we're currently doing uh, health with people. And I hope that in the future that 
patients actually drive their own healthcare and we assist them to drive that healthcare. So I think it's the democratisation of healthcare. I think it's the empowerment of the patient. And I think it's the elimination of inefficiencies for clinicians and systems. But you, but, but, a, but a fax is impenetrable, Vlad. It's, it's impenetrable, <laughs> they say. If you do a quick, if you Google how to fa- how to hack a fax machine, there are millions and millions of pages on how to do it. So I think it's funny that that yeah, this view, and like you say, it's not like it it's convenient information that's in nicely put fields. It's like I still visit clinics where it's literally rolled in it. So anyway, that's there's a lot more to that. Let's not sidetrack too much. No, that's on point. It's uh, if you need tickets for that one, I'll be front and center. Will that be a virtual funeral? <laughs> oh, I hope so. You <laughs> send the tickets out by fax at the level of irony. Don't worry, Monica, I'll fax you the details. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Kathy, you mentioned that the that the virtual team has been established for nine years. That journey, what's that been like? What was it like nine years ago compared to now? Nine years ago, I was appointed to the uh, a role as a telehealth coordinator, and it was the first time that telehealth had been even really sort of Telehealth was the traditional video conference to a patient at another location done by a few willing clinicians sort of off their own back and we didn't do a lot of it but it was we were still one of our doctors here was quite advanced at the time Dr Michael Williams and he was a leader across the state in fact so we were lucky to have him so that was where we started and then over the years I've been able to slowly build up a a small team of now five and we've become kind of a centralised unit where we uh, lead the development of the programs and the projects and then provide the ongoing tech support, et cetera, to keep those going over time. So our um, team's been able to, over that time, build up a really high level of expertise in the technology and the sorts of workflows and, and the way we can work with our clinicians to co-design models of care and workflows that can allow us to incorporate virtual into their routine practice. So it's not about seeing, you know, often people will talk about telehealth like it's some standalone specialty all of its own. And it's like, well, no, it's actually just a delivery mode. It's a way of a modality of interacting with people and you can incorporate it. You know, if you look at a patient flow map, which I've actually created a patient flow map now that shows all of the touch points and connection points where a patient might have access to health services, whether it be in any domain of emergency, inpatient, outpatient, wherever, and it might be at any location across our eight facilities, you can identify at every one of those connection points where you could incorporate some modality of virtual into that interaction to beam a specialist into them in real time at a point of need in an emergency situation or to link them up with a specialist at a tertiary centre many, many thousands of miles away for a specialist, a regular specialist appointment or to hook them up in an inpatient setting in a remote patient monitoring program. So there's all sorts of ways that we can incorporate the technology into what we do clinically every day without necessarily diverting or having to go through some arduous process. So it's about having a seamless way of doing that that allows the clinicians to know that they don't have to do much. It's just about this is actually really easy to do. And once they realise that, they're, they're on board and they go for it. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point, isn't it? I think about my own experiences as a patient crossing different health systems from the primary care to the hospital space. And you think about those that need to go from care in the allied 
world like we heard in the previous panel or in, in disability, <laughs> that, that connectivity often doesn't exist. You see buckets of bits of paper being transferred around, like physically carried into locations and things starting again. So it's, it's there's, Monica, would you say, you know, like we, we talked a lot about the benefit from the clinician's point of view that, you know, we, with systems that are more interoperable and, and have that connectivity, there's a benefit from the clinician, but obviously from the patient's side, there's no doubt benefits there too, right? Yeah, I've been thinking about this and, you know, Kathy just articulated really well in that virtual care is real care. And that whole concept of the labelling sometimes of the word virtual almost has puts it on, on the side like, no, this is not real. But I've been mulling through this recently and as I was listening to Cathy and, you know, was, I was going, absolutely, this is real care for patients. Virtual care is real care. And if we move away from the concept of this is a nice to have, but this is a real model of care that is giving people access when they didn't have access before, is giving them ongoing monitoring, is allowing them to be at home to monitor their own results. And then we have 98% of the patients being satisfied with the care and would continue to do it. We have a model of care that we really have to consider as a real model of care. And I think that Kathy articulated so well. But, you know, it's like hashtag virtual care is real care. I think today I got a call for, you know, a call from my GP. She needed me to go and get some meds today. She sent me a token to my mobile. I went through, it was done, in the, you know, to the pharmacy. I was given the meds straight away. And I think, wow, how lucky, I mean, how lucky am I to be able to have that done within an hour or so? But if you think about, you know, looking at the different where people live, the determinants of in the middle of looking after young ones, this is actually offering people real alternatives to not completely take a family upside down, take them where they are, you know, being able to access care, being able to get the medication as soon as they can, being able to stay with, you know, little ones or elder ones or looking after their shop or their station or wherever you are located, this is real care. So this is real care results for community that use technology, that have accepted it, that have said, I want to continue to do it, and that we're seeing real impacts on caregiving and receiving of care. So it's absolutely real, you know, when we see it, we're making this an equaliser of care and it be able to access people when you are, when you think about each one of us when we've been receiving care, you're in a really vulnerable situation. You want to be there with someone, if you don't speak English, if English is not your first language or if you have small one, you know, whatever situation it is, it really equalises and allows you to have an opportunity to have someone with you or to not travel or to have an ongoing monitoring. So I really wanted to hone down to the virtual care is real care. We have real experiences. We have real people having access to it and not diminishing. Like we see some in, in North Queensland are going again, trials, people being moved into trials through virtual care and teletrials and being able to access clinical trials where before it wasn't even accessible. Yeah. That's an interesting dynamic too. I, I'll go to Will soon, but I wanted to go back to Vlad and Kathy for a second, just on that one in particular, because... To your point, Monica, it, it's all in framing, isn't it? And, and prioritization from a, from a patient's point, but also for the clinician too. You know, I think about my own examples where a doctor might say, oh, we'll, we'll just settle for a virtual consult. Is it okay if we just do virtual for, for this one? But lucky you, hey, you could come and see me in person, uh, you know, because today is your lucky day. 
Vlad, from your side, do people see, do, do patients see the, the virtual as, as a trade-off? Like, unfortunately, you'll have to do this one virtually. Or I know from my own perspective as a parent of three kids, being able to do something virtually is almost a value add. It's being like that. If we could do this virtually, I would pay extra if I was paying for something. Uh, whereas others might be like, well, oh, I guess if I have to. How have you seen it on, a, on an, I don't want to make assumptions from my own perspective. Patients well, on a day-to-day, how do you see it? Well, when we first rolled out the virtual care monitoring at Gundia, our null hypothesis was that we would actually decrease physical visits to the clinics. As we've found that the number of physical attendances to the clinics per year have actually remained steady, and this is like an augmentation of that care. Now, I think a point we might not have covered as yet is the quality or, if you like, the veracity of the care. And what I mean by that is if As the national data tells us, the average Australian attends their GP 4.6 times a year, let's call it five. That means the clinician is working off five sets of readings. If, however, a patient takes one reading per day every day for a year, that clinician is making a clinical judgment based on 365 readings. So there is a richness, a depth, an ability to to analyze a far greater, you know, when N is greater, the accuracy is greater. But it hasn't it hasn't removed care, it hasn't supplanted care, it has, however, saved people unnecessary trips. It's also empowered patients because they see their own data, they're generating it, they can see the trends as well. There's almost like a biofeed. There's an engagement with healthcare because they're contributing on a daily basis. It's not like, oh yes, I'll pop into the doctor and get a script. It's like I'm actively empowered to act in my own healthcare on a daily basis. So we've found that the uptake is good. We've found that visits are not reduced. Patient satisfaction is high. Technical prowess. I mean, if you can do Facebook, you can do virtual care. If you own a mobile phone, you should be with it. I mean, it's that simple. And as I said to you, from a clinician's point of view, it's safe. It's data-informed health decision-making. And yep, I I think it's got... No, look, Kathy, does a that, long does that way resonate to go. with you? Is it as the poor cousin? Yeah. Sorry. It was a bit of a delay. Yeah, totally resonates, all of that. One of my pet peeves and has been for many years has been the way people refer to um, telehealth or virtual or face-to-face. I really hate that. I never use the term face-to-face for um, an in-person. I use in-person or virtual face-to-face because we're now face-to-face, are we not? And I just, you know, they call it FaceTime for heaven's sake, so on your your phone. So, you know, I find that really uh, kind of... Of, hang on a minute <laughs> you, you, you don't have to you, you're in person but you you're still face to face on a, on a virtual call and yeah I agree with everything that Vlad and Monica have said around the value of it as well you know and what you said too Pete about you'd pay more you know and I think I've stopped using the term over the last couple of years uh, talking about it being across distance as if it's something that we only do when people are a very long way away because you might have somebody who actually lives across the road from the hospital but they might have a disability or you know be caring for young ones or something that for them the value of having to try and get themselves up and out and across to the hospital if we were if you to put a value on a um, I had a conversation with a doctor one day who was who was telling me that being able to come and see him in person was really high value and I just said, well, I don't know. This guy that you've just seen has driven four hours from Claremont to see you. He's got up at probably four o'clock this morning. And for every hour he spent on the road, and then he's going to spend another four hours going back. And you literally saw him for, I think, 12 minutes. So I'm just wondering, 
if he was to put a dollar figure on that per minute, what value? I reckon he's, you're in the negatives. So it was an interesting conversation and it made it put a whole different spin on it for that for that particular yeah. specialist and he sort of thought about it. He said, oh, actually, yeah, seeing me face-to-face for 12 minutes probably isn't that much value for this guy given that context. So, yeah, he's, he does telehealth more now. So that's good. Yeah, well, I think this came up in a session previous as well is that, you know, if we can bake in the ability to have patients more involved in that choice and the ability to allow patients the choice about what's better for them, because in the end, it's healthcare for them. But it's not just about clinicians and, and the system supporting it, it's the funding, it's all the other kind of bits and pieces that I think will come up in, have already come up in sessions, but we'll, we'll dive into that in, in other ones coming up too. Just on your point as well, Kathy, about the, the in-person versus virtual and and face to face we got to keep up because you know in in crypto web3 metaverse land the the term IRL in real life doesn't mean physically meeting in person it means not meeting in the metaverse it means meeting on a virtual meeting so it's not even the concept of virtual like IRL is like just with our human presence let like on a on a screen let alone our avatars so you know we'll, we'll be a while we'll still be sending faxes in 10 years it, into the metaverse but um will i, I want to go to you because it would be there'd be a, like a, a lot of progression if we had many more vlads and kathy's out there in in healthcare however you know from your perspective seeing it across all of australia and different communities and and the need that exists how do we do this in a more scalable way to be able to enable more interoperability for for these communities patients and clinicians to access care in a more effective way yeah well, i think it's firstly it's it's sessions like this um where more people can hear about uh, dr vlad and kathy's stories you know i think the australian community wants to share successes and, and also failures where, where they fail and the more we can do that, the better. Because this isn't this isn't rocket science. You know, this is you, you don't and you also don't have to reinvent the wheel. So there is definitely lessons learned across the community. And when you when you start looking at how do I how, how do we start? How, what do we need to look at? How do you want to scale out these types of service models? Is kind of you know the last ten minutes of what we just be talking about is how do you embed it into your service model? And it's it's not differentiating between virtual care and and and, and in person or face to face is make sure it's clinically appropriate, probably the, the main thing. The other kind of things you would kind of think about would be if you wanted to kind of scale these types of things out, it's pretty obvious, but yeah, integrations with systems, like Dr. Blair's mentioned this already, but we, we do it for particular reasons of reducing clinical risk. You know, you do it for reasons of efficiencies. You also do it for the experience. One of the, everyone, everyone, of course, talks about the patient experience, which I can talk about, but the clinician experience is just as important. They're, they're like a super user of virtual care. And they're the ones that are going to be, they're the, they're the champions. So they're the ones going to be promoting it to their patients. A patient, more and more patients are going to ask for it. But typically, a clinician is going to be saying, do you want to do, do you want virtual care? And this is the benefits of this is how it works. And I really think it's a great thing for you. So we've got to get clinician experience up. And one way to do that is through integrations of systems. You don't want to be asking clinicians to do more work when they've got so much more to do already. So if we can use integration of systems to create those efficiencies for clinicians, that's that's awesome. And then of course looking at the patient experience, because if yeah, if, if patients don't want to use it, then you've got a problem. So the patient experience is, is really important so that they have really good adherence or compliance or whatever whatever word you want to use for it, that they take more proactive management of their of their own healthcare or have, gives them opportunity to do that 
um, and also allows them to be connected to their health, health professionals. So a lot of people focus on virtual care when they do like evaluations and research on it. Did the technology work or was it something else? It's the technology is like 20% of it. You know, it's like 25% maybe of the whole solution. When you do these evaluations and, and these patients are saying, oh, I love it, 95% said it's fantastic. And, you know, I'd always choose virtual care over face-to-face -face, and those types of stats come out. It's primarily because the, clinic, the patient feels more connected to the clinician. The technology is enabling that to happen. That's why I suppose from a Telstra perspective, we do the easy bit. It's the service modeling that Kathy and Dr. Vlad spoke about of how do you embed it? How do you make it convenient for your clinicians and also, also the patients? And also, I suppose it, it might be something, I don't know if Kathy wants to talk about, but because you, Kathy's, for example, done virtual care for seven or nine years, how do you change the service models repeatedly with different technology types and keep your clinicians engaged in wanting to make those changes? That's quite a challenging, challenging feat. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's one that we can unpack and we, we could throw to Kathy. I see here as well, it ties into something I was about to ask, but I can see that it's it's on the mind of Chrissa as well. And no doubt others, uh, the, the question is a challenge that we commonly hear from patients trying to adopt digital healthcare is how siloed it is. How do we move to a more integrated system? And I guess that's tied into what we've been talking about now. But there's, there's a lot of existing tech. And, and while it would be nice to be able to rip everything out and say, here's one platform that everyone works on and start again, but healthcare needs to be delivered on a day-to-day -day and and it's and it's not clean as, as, as the, the, the comment suggests. We'll start going around the room because we've got just under 10 minutes left. From your own experience panel, from implementing and operationalizing virtual care settings, whether it's for the, because we've got a good mix of attendees and people listening in, because this one will turn into a podcast episode as well. Those that might be creating solutions or delivering care in a virtual setting or even receiving virtual care, that, that whole, so many stakeholders within healthcare, advice for those that are undergoing a journey, whether it in a, in a small single practice or in a healthcare system, some advice from your experiences in, in virtual care. So we'll start with Kathy. Well, yeah, I guess from a from a practical operational kind of make it happen perspective, I guess there's been a few learnings for us. One for is at the beginning, I kind of naively thought that, you know, we'll walk in, we video enabled every single consult room in our outpatients area and put webcams in and everything and second screens and we showed all these clinicians how to use the telehealth system to link up with the other sites to do telehealth across distance to our rural communities and and then said, there you go, that's how it works, on you go. And they didn't do it. <laughs> they just went, yeah, yep, yeah, we'll do it. We're not doing it. So that was that. And I was like, oh, dear. So then I realised this is going to be a bit harder than I thought, even though they knew it was good for the patients, they didn't have to travel, all those things, it was that high value thing, seeing me in person's more value. And it wasn't having the faith that delivering clinical care across a video was going to actually be real care. So we had to get them over that barrier. So what we did was we started being the coordinators for it. So we put telehealth coordinators in our outpatient areas and they are literally held their hand and they walk into the room, they dial in for them and really the doctor just has to sit there and turn up. So that's how we started and we just got them doing it. And once they used it and once they saw that it actually was pretty easy and, oh, it didn't actually turn out to be, you know, we didn't have risk mans and clinical incidents happening and it was all really good. So they started to use it more and more and that was kind of getting that initial buy-in. So having coordinators 
anything that's an administrative task associated with delivering virtual care in whatever system it is in or whatever domain it is in, whether it's outpatients, emergency, inpatient, wherever, that's done by an admin officer, clinicians only clinician. So we've made it really important that they have good coordination to support them all the way so it's seamless for them and that way they they will play with us in that space and engaging them and letting them build the, be the architects of their service models doctors like to be creative and clinicians nurses too they like to be creative they like to have a say what they don't like is when we plonk some technology in front of them and say this is it this is how it works and you've got to press this button and this button and then you've got to do it like this and you've got to put this record here and you've got and as will rightly said that interoperability making it really easy so that the videos all their the video calling or the remote patient monitoring program or whatever is all there it but they don't have to do much if anything or only a little bit of anything to make sure that they can still incorporate that into what they usually do with much burden that's really important but giving them the say letting them drive it so they'd say to me oh what do you want me to do now and I'd say well I don't want you to do anything you tell me what you want to do and then we do it from that way so they are the architect of the design and we've got specialists areas where we've got a group of guys who will do we've got a different workflow and model or a slightly different model for an individual specialist within that same specialty group because that's the way they like to deliver their care that's their clinic model or the way they like to do it so that's that's really important and lastly very quickly having good monitoring in place so once you've set up a program, have really good monitoring so that you can check in regularly and you can see the data and you can see how it's ticking along and you're constantly and regularly checking in with those clinicians and those groups because, you know, walk away from it and then six months later you hear a whisper that, oh, they're not doing that over there anymore. And when you go to see them, they go, oh, you know, look, this didn't work so good this day and we just got sick of trying so we just stopped and we've just reverted back to the old way. They don't necessarily come and yell out and say, hey, something's not right, come and help us with it. You need to constantly be going back and reminding and, and supporting. So having that good coordination, a centralised coordination or some method of at the elbow tech support, someone they can reach out to, building those relationships so they trust you to let you know when something's going wrong. That's That's been critical for us. And I think that's been a big improvement to the way we started. And that's how we mean to go on. Oh, look, super valuable insights and reflections, Kathy, because it's it's rare to hear from a, a larger health systems point of view how, how to effectively do that at scale and something that we need in, in other in other areas too. So so very excited to share that with others. But Vlad, from, from your side too, from your own experiences firsthand. Okay, I'd say that change will occur when the price and the risk of doing nothing is less than the price and risk. <laughs> Sorry, when the price of doing nothing is great and the risk of doing nothing is greater than the price of doing something and taking a bit of a risk. So mm. I, I actually say to people, jump have a whole list of assumptions and then be prepared to be completely proven wrong. And that is the price of innovation. I think that's that's the inherent courage of any innovation. 
I think bring your clinicians along, bring your patients along, explain, converse, be prepared to feedback, feedback. It's just sort of PDSA over and over and over again and just refine, 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 capture your learnings as you go, uh, evaluate as you go. And once again, just the clinical governance of any system is probably as important as the technical aspect of any system. So I think that's where patients derive comfort. I think that's where clinicians feel at peace. And then the tech can follow it behind. But too often in tech, I think we put that tech front and centre, whereas it's actually the care that's front and centre enabled by the tech. So that would be my summary of it, I think. And I noticed a comment there about RACGP saying that uh, there's no benefit of video over telephone. Well, uh, respectfully to my colleagues, uh, I'd say to them, if 70% of communication is non-verbal, even 100% cues on 30% surely can get slaughtered by somebody who's half watching 50% of 70% and listening. You know, so I think yeah, I'd like to see that data. I'd like to see how that data was generated. But um, but I really do believe that I think we're ready for it. I think we've got no option. I think the workforce situation, the tyranny of distance, the inefficiencies, everything else. I, I just think we're we've got no choice. So let's embrace it. Let's run with it. And if we have to make it up as we go, so be it. Love it. Monica and Will, I haven't left you much time. We need to wrap in a minute, but I think it's really important that we had those perspectives of those, you know, dealing it on a first hand. Any final thoughts from you, Monica? For me, going back to virtual care is real care, and we ha- we do have data, and, and, and Kathy was uh, mentioning some of it, but we do have data that it does significantly reduce 51% of all-cause readmission rate for adults within 28 days in the hospital and the home remote patient monitoring with reduction in ED and savings, readmission and bed days. So whatever program you do, I mean, the, the team of Mackay has been measuring their outcomes. She's spot on. You have to measure like any other program. It would suit a cohort, pick your cohort, measure and see the outcomes because virtual care is real care. And Will, when you come off mute, any final thoughts? Sorry, I thought I was going to do that. Um, if only final thoughts would be, uh, I'm so disappointed I haven't come up with a hashtag uh, as Monica has. <laughs> so she got me there. Um, but, uh, and the only other thing I'd be is, I think the difference is also having a clear strategy. You know, what is your strategy for the organization and how do you take it in and embed it in? And then you can have that as your North, North, North Star and align to that over the, over the many years because it will change uh, year in, year out and you can change with it with your, with your strategy. That's about it. Love it. Well, look, Vlad, Monica, Kathy, Will, appreciate the discussion. Good, good engagement in the chat too. Encourage you all as as speakers to jump back into the the Hopin platform to respond to any new ones that come up. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to contribute to this really important conversation. Thanks, Heath. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player, and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit TalkingHealthTech.com.